Today is Transfiguration Sunday. Did you know that? Today is Transfiguration Sunday, and we are going to be in Mark chapter 9. If you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to Mark chapter 9, or please feel free to follow on the screen. Our reading is as, goes as following. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the Beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. And he was transfigured, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. So what's actually happening in this passage? There's actually a lot taking place. One of the things we see is this transformation, this radical transformation of Jesus from one state to another. And it's quite, it's quite dazzling. We, there's this, this, this white, this, this, this incredible picture that is seen. We also see Moses. We see Elijah appearing. And as you will understand as well, Moses was the lawgiver. And Elijah is, represents the prophets. And so through this, the writer of Mark is telling us that in Jesus, the law and the prophets were fulfilled. So all these things are happening. We also see that the voice of God is spoken. As he speaks, he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Now, it's not the first time that the voice has been spoken. But again, we hear the voice of God coming and affirming the person of Jesus. The fact that he's the son of God. And we see also the transfiguration, this changing that takes place. This concept of transfiguration is actually a, more of a biblical term, and it speaks of a change or a form of appearance. In fact, they would use a word like metamorphosis, which is a word I last heard in my biology class too many years ago, and I was very happy to forget about as well. But the idea is that it changes from one state to another. There is a transfiguration. There is a change and in this situation, it is to an exalting, a glorifying state. A spiritual change has taken place in Jesus. As I read this passage, I thought to myself, what fascinated me, and maybe you picked up the same thing, was this. Think about how many people are a part of what's happening right here. How many people are a part of everything going on? You go up a mountain, here's Jesus. How many times did Jesus go on his own to be with the Father? Now, we don't know what happened in those moments. We don't know whether he had moments where he had a transfiguration in one of those personal times where he met the Father. We don't know because those were private times that he had. But clearly, this is not really a private time. In this passage, we see that Jesus is there, obviously. That's in the passage. It also speaks about Moses being there and Elijah being there, which we understand why they're there as well. And then we also see the Father is present in this moment as he speaks. And then there's these three kind of out-of-place disciples that almost are 
kind of the representation of humanity that are standing looking on the outside in Peter James and John going well something has happened and they have no idea what to do so Peter does the best that he can in a really bad situation and says let's build houses well not his best moment and he had a few of those moments in his life but that was not it but there's another person and there's somebody else that's a part of this that you might not think about What's important to us as well is that we have been brought into this experience. Not only in Mark's gospel, but in Luke's gospel and in Matthew's gospel, the writers are very clear, very articulate, and very intentional in saying, you as the reader need to enter into this experience because this has got something for you today. As we celebrate the day of transfiguration, we remember the transfiguration of Jesus, we need to ask this question, why are we brought into this experience? Why has God brought us here? Why does He allow for this element of truth to be in our lives, in the passage, preserved through all of eternity? What is going on here? Yes, we do understand that we see the fulfillment of Moses, the law and the prophets. We see that through Jesus. We understand the affirming of Christ as the Son, and these are important. But there's also maybe something more that I thought. Maybe there is something for us that we miss. Could it be that one of the reasons we have the transfiguration is because it gives us a glimpse of our future reality. Think about that for a second. Could it be that it gives us a glimpse of our future reality that one day we too will be changed to be like Him? Let's talk about that for a bit. Tom Wright, N.T. Wright, writes this. He says, The transfiguration was intended to offer the three disciples a brief foretaste of what life will be like when God's kingdom finally breaks in with full force. A glimpse of something far greater than anything they had ever imagined. The thing we pick up in the Gospels, and we see this, if you, if you take the, the body of the Scripture and you start to read what Jesus does and the teachings of Paul, something interesting happens. Most of what we read, rightly so, helps us to live the life that we live today. It helps us from the time of our birth until the time of our death to understand right from wrong. And this is why the big wrestling that takes place in society is to call that which is right wrong and that which is wrong right. That is what we see happening all the time. But the Bible is very particular to say this is the kingdom. This is the teachings of the kingdom. This is how we should live. We should not be, as we spoke about, contaminated or conformed to the patterns of the world, use their ways. We should be transformed and become more like Christ by the renewing of our mind. We spoke extensively about that. A lot of that teaching has to do with the here, the now, practically, understanding our faith, the reception of Christ, the living for Christ. But then there's a little part that is not overly explained is what happens one day when we die. And that's, a, that's an interesting thing. We do have glimpses of it, but it's not this huge theological body that takes up chapters and chapters and chapters in the Bible. We understand certain things, but if we stop and think about it, how much of that do we actually truly understand? And I think it's not because God doesn't want us to know that. God wants us to know that we will be with Him forever, but ultimately the way we live in this world is very, very important. But God does give us that glimpse. And the reason he gives us that glimpse is because sometimes I think, in my opinion, we can be so, become so earthly focused and focused on the things that are here 
that we forget that we're actually destined for eternity. We don't belong in this world. We belong in a world that is to come. Let me give you some points that hopefully will help us see and help us keep an eternal perspective as we live our faith. The first thing the transfiguration does for us is locates us, the believer, in God's great story of salvation. We see here that Elijah and Moses appear to him. And when they appear, that is a continuation of a story that has started. The story started before the fall in creation, at the fall, in the, in the era of the patriarchs, throughout the Old Testament, in the law, as Moses gave the law. Elijah then comes with the prophets. Then Jesus comes into the story and we see the continuation and a bridging. He forms a part of what is past, what is present, and he sets the stage for what is future. And we understand that in that, he, he's incarnated, he lives, he dies, he rises again, and there is something right there. He inaugurates the kingdom. And we live in that space. You know, we live in this, this world is big. I think they say we currently have 8.1 billion people in the world today. 8.1 billion people. If you want to feel small, try and figure out how you fit into 8.1 billion people. We think to ourselves, we live within a time in history. But there are thousands of years that have gone before. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know when the Lord will come. But somewhere in this huge picture of billions of people, with this huge world that exists, there is little old me. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, how do I fit in? Where do I belong? Where do I come from? Where am I going to? And the transfiguration helps us with this. In fact, we are so keenly aware of a sense of identity, trying to locate ourselves within history, that people are making millions of dollars today with DNA tests, because somehow we think if somehow I can be related to some, I don't know, everybody's related to royalty somewhere apparently. <laughs> we want to know that we, we are actually part of a royal family in some, I don't know, Everybody wants some form of significance. We are related to royalty, but it's King Jesus, not the kings of this world. We want to know where we come from. We want to know our family story. We want to know our family tree. We want to know our place of origin. We want to locate ourselves within history, whether it's the U.S. history, Texan history, the history of Sugarland. We're trying to find a sense of belonging where we belong. Yet Paul teaches us in Philippians very simply, you, your citizenship is in heaven. Philippians 3 verse 20. And it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to something greater. We belong to the future. We belong to this future reality. We live in the already not yet. We live in a space in time when the kingdom of God has started but not yet complete. That might be where we live, but our citizenship is in heaven. So the transfiguration reminds us that our king and his kingdom are not of this world. But our king is from a better place, a place that is to come, a place to which we will go. The second thing the transfiguration helps us with, helps us to anticipate the world to come. The, anticipating the world to come gives us, the believer, courage to live in this world with all its challenges as well. In Mark chapter 9, verses 2, uh, the second part of chapter 2, going to verse 3, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. 
And there's something quite, I would say, significant about that. We live in a world that is incredibly sinful. It's broken. It is almost like the sin and the dirt of the world almost clings to us even as we try to walk and live in accordance with God's laws. We cannot get away because wherever we turn, we continually feel the sense of the world and its ways pushing in on us and we wonder whether we belong and how do we break free of this. We believe in a journey of sanctification where we're becoming more like Christ. But in that journey of sanctification, how do we keep ourselves encouraged every time we find ourselves reflecting on our failures? Because to live in this world means to fail like this world fails. To be in the presence of sin means that somehow it's going to touch your life. You can do absolutely everything right, but yet still it can creep in and it can touch your life. We can feel disappointed. We can feel we have disappointed God. We can look at the world and see the imperfections and the sinfulness of the world and feel despondent, discouraged and say, do we really belong? How do we break free? And into this, the transfiguration, this dazzling white, that sense of looking forwards, that idea that there is something for us. And we are encouraged. Revelation chapter 21 verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them. What a beautiful picture. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. The transfiguration gives us hope. That there is a beautiful, pure, holy and glorious future that awaits every one of us. One day we will be with him. We will see him and we will be like him. The third point and the final point is this. It keeps us as believers focused on the things that truly matter. We get a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective. In verse 9, they walk down the hill and he tells them, I don't want you to say anything about this. In fact, he, uh, he orders them to tell no one about this, what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So why would he expose them to this experience? Then after exposing this to the experience, he says, now tell no one. But yet the whole world knows about this because after his death and resurrection, Okay, we can talk about this now. We're allowed to talk about this. This is what happened when we went up the mountain. And so they share this thing. Why would he do that? Why would he want them to tell this actually quite crazy, almost unfathomable understanding? Well, if we think about the transfiguration, how the transfiguration and understanding of the transfiguration would have encouraged the church. Within the first century, the church would have gone through times of opposition. They would have gone through times of persecution, wondering, where is Jesus? Why is Jesus not hearing them? Well, they're walking with Jesus. They can be encouraged by Jesus. But now Jesus ascended, and yes, they have the Spirit, but they're now facing all sorts of opposition. And in a way, a story like this comes into that place and says, even though now for a short period you might have to persevere, you might have to deal with the frailty of this world, whether it is in society or sickness 
we can persevere because as we look to the future, there is something that matters. As Christ followers, we get despondent in our Christian living. We spoke about that. We feel discouraged. Feel discouraged in our walk with God, discouraged by the world around us. But another area where we can get despondent is in our Christian mission. Does it really matter? Should, should we really run an alpha course? Does it really make a difference? We're trying really hard to tell people about the love of Jesus, but the world doesn't seem to care about the love of Jesus. They care about the love of all other things. Should we really persist? Should we really stop and say, you know, does, it, does it matter? Am I wasting my time? Should I just show up on church on Sunday and do what God wants me to do and punch my ticket to heaven? But you see, when we look at the transfiguration, we understand that I have an eternity, but I also understand that everybody I speak to, whether it's family, whether it's friends, they too have a hope in the same hope that I have. The transfiguration isn't just for me. That promise of a transformation, the promise of God's glory, the promise of a better future is not just mine. It is for every person who will believe. And it keeps us on mission to know that we do this, not just for ourselves. We do this so that as a world, as friends, as family, we can all journey together and participate in what God has got for us. John chapter 3 verse 16 says, For God so loved the world. We don't have to go any further than that. There's so much more in that. But what that says, everybody in the world is loved by God and deserves the love of God. And the picture of a better future is not for me, only it's for everybody in this world. I was thinking about this, I was meditating on this, and I thought about the thief on the cross. What a beautiful story. He's on the cross. As he's on the cross, he turns to Jesus. Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And we all celebrate, amen? But he stole from somebody. That thief stole from somebody. And somebody's standing at the foot of the cross and saying, good for you, you stole from me. You deserve this punishment. Maybe it was a poor widow who had a last meal and he walked in and he took it away from her and she starved. Maybe it was an orphan that he took from. But whatever it was, he ended up on a cross because he was a thief and somebody was not happy with that pronouncement of innocence. Now why do I tell you that? Because there's some people in this world that we want to say, respectfully, you can go to hell, I don't care. <laughs> respectfully. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? And forgive, forgive the way I say that. But there's some people that when you, you, you have a bad encounter with them, you actually want to see them punished. You want to see them hurt. You want to see them pay. They must pay. That's not the way of the kingdom. It's not the way of the kingdom. We harbor unforgiveness. We're not kingdom people. We're people of this world. We harbor resentment. We're living according to the patterns of this world. Vengeance. But forgiveness for every single person. I don't even want to go there right now because in our minds we can go to some of the darkest places of what people have done. But yet, for God so loved some people in the world, the world. And that eternity is not just for us. That eternity is for absolutely everyone as well. So will we be just like Jesus? Will we be exactly like He is as we see Him in Mark chapter 9? Is that how we will see Him? Is that how we will be one day? 
Well, John helps us with this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. He said, Beloved, we are God's children now. We belong. You see how we're located in a family. We're part of a bigger picture. We're part of a family. Now, what will we be has not yet been revealed. We don't know exactly what we will be. It's not exactly. I can't write a big thesis and tell you, well, based on the transfiguration, uh, all, all believers will be dazzling white. I don't know. I want my own shade of white. We don't know what exactly it's going to be. It's part of that unknown mystery that we live with, but we have the confidences there. What we do know is this, that when He is revealed, we will be like Him. For we will see Him as He is. As we look to the transfiguration, we see a glimpse of our glorious Savior and the world that is to come. And here it is. We are encouraged. Let us pray together.